Thank you for listening to this recording from Chestnut Hill Baptist Church. Today, Pastor David Seip preaches from Mark chapter 3 with a message called The Life of John. We hope you find this message valuable and encouraging. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the third chapter, verse 16 through 19. Mark 3, 16 through 19. This is the word of God to us this morning. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Theodos, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May God illuminate our hearts with this word from uh, from God this morning. Thank you. I want to pay particular attention this morning to verse 17, which considers the brothers James and John, in particular John. Christ had given them the nickname of Sons of Thunder. And these were the sons of the fishermen Zebedee. And Zebedee lived close to the water's edge at Lake Tiberias. The fisherman and his wife, Salome, had prospered in temporal things. He was a successful fisherman. And the Lord, moreover, blessed them with two sons, now in their early years of manhood. And they had uh, been instructed in the village schools and under the tutelage of the uh, rabbis. They had become familiar not only with the laws and the the prophets, but with current systems of philosophy of their day. And three times every year, they had gone up to Jerusalem with their father to attend the the great national feasts that were conducted there. And there they had watched the burning of the the sacrifices, those prophecies, a long-looked-for Messiah that had been prophesied in their scripture and had heard the stately chanting of the messianic psalms there. And they had stood wondering and dreaming in Solomon's porch under the vine with its golden clusters typifying the, the glory of the Messiah's reign. And so they learned to watch the future for his coming. From Purim and Passover they returned to their fishing boats to see in every daybreak the kindling splendor of the clouds over Mount Hermon. A new prophecy of the rising of the Son of Righteousness with healing in his beams. And the elder of these brothers was energetic and and fearless. He loved to be on the lake when the winds came rushing down upon the water and lashed the lake into fury. But it wasn't so with the younger. His happiest days were when the sea was restful and untroubled, yet in his gentle spirit there was a slumbering fire, and time would show him to be not a a dreamer, but a man among men. You see, in those days John the Baptist had come preaching and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The two brothers, in company with many other townspeople, they went over to Bethabara to see him and to hear what he had to say. And there were among the rocks by the swift 
rivers stood that hermit priest in the midst of an eager multitude of listeners and he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The time is at hand. I indeed baptize you with water, but there comes one after me whose shoes I am not worthy to untie. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Bring forth, therefore, fruits sufficient for repentance. The brothers were thrilled, I think, with expectancy, believing the fulfillment of their long-cherished hope was, was close at hand now. And one day as they were standing with the multitude on the, the riverbank, the Baptist pointed to a solitary figure passing nearby and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And they followed him at once. Rabbi, where do you come from? And he said, Come and see. And they stayed with him that night. Now think about it. A night with Jesus. Did a soul ever linger in the presence of and not discover that he was the Son of God. But they could not stay long with Jesus. It was the season of, of labor upon the lake, and returning to Bethsaida, they returned to their usual tasks as fishermen. And one morning they were seated by the shore, they were washing their nets, and all of a sudden, he stood beside them, and glancing toward their nets and out upon the waters, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was their formal ordination to the apostolate. And they rose, and they followed him. And from this time forward, they were with him in all of the important events of his ministry. They saw his wonderful works of healing, they heard him speak as never man spoke of eternal hope and eternal life. And they listened to his sermon on the mount in which he set forth the qualifications of citizenship in the kingdom of truth and of righteousness. But as time passed, they were more and more confirmed in the thought that he had come to, to set up an earthly throne. And on one occasion, their mother Salome asked of Jesus that her two sons might sit, one at his right hand and the other at his left in his kingdom. And he answered, do you know not what you ask? And turning to them, can you drink of the cup that I drink and can you be baptized with my baptism? And they answered, we can. But little did they dream of how their wish was to be fulfilled. As they continued to follow Jesus, they, with Peter, made up the chosen three. And they dwelt with him in the glory of Mount Tabor, when his garments were white and gleaming and his face shone as the sun. And they were with him in his triumphal entry when the crowd going before and following after cried, Hosanna, Hosanna to him that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they were with him in the upper chamber on the night of the last Passover. And in the shadow of the olive trees in Gethsemane, they heard his prayer, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And one of them saw him nailed to the accursed tree when the light went out. 
and the darkness was pierced by that strange cry, Elo, Elo, Lama Sabachthani. Was this the cup of which they were to drink and was this the, the baptism with which they were to be baptized? But you see, they had not long to wait. In the year 44, the sword of persecution was drawn by Herod Agrippa against the followers of Christ and James was appointed. And so calm and fearless was his demeanor before his judges that Clement of Alexandria said this, that his accuser greeted, accuser greeted him with a brotherly kiss saying, you have persuaded me that Jesus is the Christ. And he was led out beyond the walls and there was a swift flash of the blade in his head rolled from the block. He had drained that purple cup. He had passed under the blood of baptism. But John lived on, and Nero kindled the living torches, smearing the disciples with pitch and setting them on fire to illuminate cruelly his garden. But the fire passed over him, and Titus marched against Jerusalem, reduced it by the slow process of starvation. And he raised a line of hundreds of awful crosses on those surrounding hills. But that calamity also passed over him. It was not within a peculiar fitness that in course of time that the Benjamite of the twelve became the patriarch of the multiplying churches. He was settled as the episcopos or the, the bishop or overseer of the church at Ephesus and that Ephesian congregation and from that center of paganism he sent out his messages of encouragement to the scattered saints. And it was during this pastorate that he, he wrote the Gospel of John. The emblem of John's Gospel is the eagle the apostle's voice went crashing through the current system of unbelief, making havoc of sciences and philosophies and its solemn dedication. And he declared this in his writings. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Can you imagine this from a fisherman? In the year 64, the demon of persecution again awoke, and John was one of its victims, and he was banished to that lonely island of Pathos in the Aegean Sea. The event is commemorated in an old Latin hymn which says, through Rome's infuriate city, from Caesar's judgment chair, they drag Christ's loved disciple, the saint with silver hair. The two desert islands banish. With God the exile dwells and sees the future glory. His wondrous writing tells. We are accustomed to think of John as the apostle of love. The apostle of love and our conception of any character is sometimes based on even a, a single episode. 
The Virgin Mary is known to us by her posture in the Annunciation, the adoring upturned face so well captured by Raphael, the artist, the painter, in the words, Behold thy handmaid, be it unto me as thou wilt. And Paul on Mars Hill, his eye kindled with ardor and his presence glorified by the enthusiasm of a noble cause. And Peter, declaring to the multitude on the day of Pentecost that their hands are red with the innocent blood of Jesus. Judas in the garden, kissing the Savior's cheek. These are character sketches standing out from the narrative and catching the eye like the masterpieces of the artists long gone in the National Gallery of Art. And what scene in the life of the Apostle John will best describe him? See him in that upper chamber reclining on the Savior's chest, his face all radiant with love. And we're reminded how Cyrus at a certain festival gave to each of his officers a, a costly gift and to one a jeweled garment, to another a golden cup, and to another the badge of martial prowess. And then turning to his favorite, he, he put his arm around him saying, Chrysantis, thou hast my love. This was the distinction put upon John that night before the crucifixion, the, the affection of the Son of God. And he never forgot that Paschal feast. It served as a stimulation of his years of labor for Christ. It moved him to a most tender compassion for mankind. It was related that when the pastor of the Ephesian church was so old and, and feeble that he had to be carried on a litter through the streets to meet his congregation, he would lift up his hands and say, little children, love one another. Love is indeed the, the greatest thing in the world. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, all other gifts shall cease, God's word says, but love abideth ever. And Luther calls it the shortest and longest divinity. Shortest in words, but longest in use and practice. Love never fails. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And shall we learn as John to be the apostle of love? And we know this apostle also as the son of thunder. The son of thunder, so the master calls him. Only strong natures are capable of earnest love. Love prompts to noble deeds. An apostle of love is even a son of thunder. As minister of the Ephesian church, he was required to confront the Gnostics and the, the Nicolodians, and they found him a foe worthy of their steel. And he was ready to face a drawn sword. A roaring lion had no, no terrors for him because he, the love of Christ constrained him. And he declared the glorious gospel with a voice accustomed to command amid the storms of Gennesaret. And in his preaching, there was no stumbling over words, no mincing of phrases. His characterized the, the man as 
false to his profession as a liar, the man who hated his fellows as a murderer, the man who denied the great truths as antichrist. And to the elect lady, the church, he wrote this, if there come any unto you and bring not his doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Are we prepared as John to be more bold for Christ? But also, this apostle was known by still another name, Theologus. Theologus, a lover and teacher of spiritual things. If times and places are of God's ordinance, it was assuredly not chance that selected Patmos for his home. It was encompassed by the deep waters of the Mediterranean, stretching away into the calm distance or leaping and roaring in storms. And what a closet for a man to dream in. What peace the waves murmured what battle clarions they sounded. It was not long before this bereaved church is heard from their venerable pastor in the most thrilling letter, the most thrilling letter that was ever penned by mortal man, this, a fisherman. He, being in the spirit on the Lord's day, we're told, saw a glorious panorama of visions that passed before him in quick succession a golden candlestick, and one walking in the midst of it like the, the Son of Man, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and an innumerable company of harpists playing on golden harps, saying, Holy, holy God, the Lord God is almighty. He saw a company assembled to witness the opening of a book with seven seals, and as the seals were broken with successive trumpet blasts, the annals of all future history are unrolled before him. And the marshalling of the hosts of heaven and hell to the great battle of Armageddon. And the company led on by Shiloh and garments dipped in blood meets the legions of darkness in mortal fray. And the sound of clashing arms and then rattling chains and Satan is cast into a bottomless pit. In the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bridegroom brings home his exiled bride without spot or blemish and leads her to his throne amid the acclamations of heavenly multitudes. And the new Jerusalem with gates of pearl and golden streets descending from God out of heaven. A last glorious sunburst, a voice, behold, I come quickly. And the old dreamer answers, amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And shall we desire as John to be a lover of spiritual things? The pen lies idle now on the parchment. The busy hands of John are still and from the silent shores of Patmos, the soul of that disciple whom Jesus loved has gone up to lean again upon the bosom at the feast.
The spirit of this gracious man, says Tertullian, the historian, still wanders among us. And doubtless it does, a, a calming and sanctifying influence. We learned this past week with the, the passing of Billy Graham that good men being dead yet live and labor. The blood of John, says the Apocrypha, lies buried in peace, but his influence lives forever. And all people will tell of his wisdom and the congregation of saints will declare his praise. These are the words of an ancient prayer in closing. Good Lord, thou enlighten us with doctrine and fill us with the mind of thy blessed evangelist, that we may at last enter into thy blissful presence and enjoy the rewards of everlasting life. May God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we ponder the life of John and we think of him and his love for you and his willingness through his actions to be called by you the son of thunder because he was unabashed and unafraid to serve you and to be bold for you but yet a son of love, too. And John was a lover of your word and your spirit as well. And so we pray, God, that as we have John as our example and we see how you can take a humble fisherman and give him such words as in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. These words, by your Holy Spirit, through a humble fisherman. And Father God, we know that we also, we love you, and we lay our head upon your breast as well. In love, that you would use us, Lord, and we pray in mighty ways that we might also have an influence, and even in death, our labors might continue. And so we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and for the life of John. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information about Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, or to subscribe to these audio messages via our podcast, visit our website at chestnuthillbaptist.org. You can also write to us at Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, 2 Bethlehem Pike, Philadelphia, PA, 19118.